Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. That was cool. Um, let's get my time mic sorted. There we go. Thank you very much. Well, um, I wasn't originally supposed to be talking. Actually, James was supposed to be talking. And uh, he rang me up last week and or texted me and said if I could do it. I said, that's not a problem. And he uh, reminded me again uh, this morning. Um, so uh, it's actually incredible what you can get done in between a church service. Uh, <laughs> right in the sermon. Um, no, no, I'm joking. It was good to see that James had faith in me. Like, just to make sure, you, you know you're on for tonight. Yeah. I'm all right, James. All right. Um, no, uh, I've prepared in due time. I actually delayed an essay. I uh, asked for an extension just so I could do this because this is more fun. So. Good, there we go. Uh, that's bad practice, though. Don't do it. Um, who's been enjoying Suit Up? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've really been enjoying it. I've just, it's, it's just been nice to refresh ourselves. Just what it is God has done for us, what he's equipped us with, what he has clothed us in, the understanding of how we activate it. Pastor Cheryl was talking about that last week. I thought it was just incredible. Um, and Kevin, the way we honor people. It's just been incredible just to get into what God has for us. And um, i uh, I got a lot I want to get through tonight. Um, so I'm going to jump straight in. Um, and and we, as we've been going through this series, there's kind of been this reoccurring theme of, uh, it's been very visual. Um, uh, Pastor Cheryl threatened uh, uh, last week to rip her blouse open. That was uh, a <laughs> danger point. Pastor Kevin last week was talking about hugging people with their shirt off as a form of evangelism. Um, that was also a bit weird. Um, I don't know what was going on on their minds that Sunday, but um, that's fine. Um, it was nice when we got home. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, <coughs> I'm so sorry, Baez. Fuck your ears. Okay, um, well, uh, not, not being one to break with tradition, um, how many people know that to get dressed, you have to get undressed first? Yeah. Right, in the morning, we don't just get up and, and add clothes to the clothes we're already wearing. Because um, that would get quite hot quite quickly. Um, and you can't just all be walking around like, like Michelin men, um, kind of just bumping into each other and uh, sweating profusely. No, we, we have to get undressed before we get dressed. And the same is true of spiritual clothes. Isaiah 61:10, our um, kind of our, our verse for for the series, I guess, uh, says this. Um, I've got it here. So it's okay. Um, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for He has clothed me. Everyone say, for He has clothed me, with garments of salvation, and arrayed me in a robe of His righteousness, as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. I just want to focus on five words from this. That's how easy it's going to be tonight. Uh, that is, for he has clothed me. That, that's, that, 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 those five words underpin everything that we've looked at uh, on Suit Up. Everything is pinned on those words, for he has clothed me. Yeah. Um, and my message tonight is called um, Suit Yourself. And often when, when, we, when we do our Christian life, there's so many times where we decide to, we do what suits ourselves we, we suit ourselves in so many situations but actually what Isaiah 61 is saying is this is not about suiting yourself this is about what God wants to suit you in this is about what God wants to put on you and, and actually there's times that we have to learn to 
take things off before yes. he can put things on. Uh, so if there was a hashtag for tonight, it would be hashtag take it off. Um, so, uh, but yeah. Um, and I want to look at, to do that, I want to look at um, David and Saul, and I want to look at the ways in which, I guess, they suited themselves, certain situations in which they put themselves in, and they decided to do what was best in their eyes, or they suited themselves, or they forgot to take off their clothes. Or, and then I want to look at, finish off by looking at David once more and how we do it right. That sound good? Yeah. Perfect. So let's jump straight into Samuel 13, uh, uh, verse, from verse 7. Um, a bit of context about what's happening here. Saul is the first king of Israel. So Israel is uh, liberated from Egypt. They're brought into the desert land. They have to walk around for 40 years. They eventually get into the promised land. And after a couple, after a couple of battles, they end up um, setting up some judges. Uh, and then eventually they get tired of these judges. And they're like, we want a king, God. And so God says, okay, I will appoint you a king. And, it, and he appoints Saul, first king over Israel. At this point, Saul is two years into his his rule uh, as king, and he's surrounded by enemies, he's surrounded by an army. And Samuel says to him, who's the prophet of the day, he says, give me seven days, I'll return, and when I come back, then make a sacrifice and we'll gain the Lord's favor and we'll, we'll, win, we'll, we'll defeat our enemies. On the seventh day, Saul wakes up and he, starts, he begins to see uh, his armies fleeing. And here's where we pick it up from seven. Uh, some Hebrews, even so some Israelites even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. He waited seven days, the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and Saul's, man, Saul's men began to scatter. So he said, bring me the burnt offering and the fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived, and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done? asked Samuel. What have you done? asked Samuel. Now, how many of us have been in Saul's position where God has spoken something over our lives? He has, he has spoken promises. He has spoken that he said things about us that, you know, you're, you're going to go do these things. He says to Saul that you'll be the first king of Israel. I'll establish my kingdom through you forever. That you will take the land. You'll take possession of the land of your enemies. But Saul is faced with a situation that is vastly different to the promise of God over his life. What do we do in that situation? Well, what Saul does and what Saul does wrong is he begins to take control. Saul begins to put on his suit. He begins to suit himself. See, when we take control, we actually make it about ourselves. The moment you take control or possess the promise of God, and make it, you make it about you. It's not about glorifying him anymore. It's about the, the, the survival of, of the promise of God over your life. Saul begins to panic. He begins to see his, his, his armies are scattered. Samuel's not back yet. God's not showing up. Things aren't increasing. They're decreasing. I'm not winning battles. I'm losing them. The very word that God spoke over me is dissipating in front of my very eyes. What do I do? And he makes a mistake and he takes control. When, I, when God spoke over me that he wanted me to come to university, Aberdeen wasn't even on the radar for me. Similar, uh, uh, Kevin and Cheryl, when, when, when God called them to go and plant a church, I think I'm allowed to say this because I've heard Kevin say that, initially they thought Spain, right? 
And Kevin said that he, f- he filled that detail in. <laughs> I wonder why. Um, Spain's much hotter than Aberdeen. But God had a different plan. The word wasn't wrong. The understanding of the word was wrong. Sometimes God doesn't give us the details. I think, I think God doesn't give us the details because they would scare us. Aberdeen sounds a lot less dreamy than Spain. <laughs> but the danger is, is that we begin to fill in the details and begin to take control. And the moment it stops looking like what we thought it was supposed to look like, we make it about ourselves. We actually kick God out of the picture. The funny thing is, Samuel turned up on the seventh day. If Saul had awaited to the very end, if Saul had awaited half, I don't know how long it takes to make a burnt sacrifice, I'll be honest, half an hour, an hour. But if Saul had awaited that much longer, Samuel would have been there. And things would have been very, very different for Saul. But he took control. He took control. Often the, the, the point of the promise or the point of the word that God speaks over us is not, it's not the results. Hebrews 11, um, 11.39 says this. This is, this, is, this is pretty weird. Hebrews 11 is this chapter all about faith. He, the, the, the writer of Hebrews is, lists all these names of faith. And then right at the end, he says this. Um, these were all commended for their faith. All these lists of people. Yet none of them received what had been promised. That, that makes me think that, that sometimes the promise isn't about the results. It's about leading to intimacy. It's actually about leading us into trust. Yes. It's, actually, it's actually leading us into a dependency. Yes. It's not about the results sometimes. It's not about what it's looking like. Mm-hmm. Just say, you're going to trust me. Mm-hmm. I've spoken something over your life that is, that is the unthinkable. It is the impossible. Mm-hmm. Are you going to take control of it? Or are you going to let me take the reins? Yeah. Don't glorify yourself. The moment you take it from God, it becomes about you. You kick him out of the picture. You become bigger than the promise. Never become bigger than the promise. Always remain focused. This is about him. This is about him. Don't suit yourself. Don't take control. Second one, second example is, uh, so that's the first one. Don't take control. The first way we suit ourselves is we, we take control of something. Then we look at David. Um, now David's just as guilty at times. 2 Samuel 11, 1 to 3. In the spring, at the time when the kings go to, off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. Uh, And David sent someone uh, to find out about her. I think the second way that we suit ourselves when God speaks something over us, when he wants to clothe us in something, is we avoid it. We run away. We avoid it and we run away. See, everyone was, was born into... A war, whether you, whether you know it or not, we, your Christian life is a is a constant battle. Paul talks about the battle between um, spirit and the flesh. Yeah. There is a constant constant spiritual battle that's happening in your life, and I, sometimes I don't want to get too spiritually weird, but just it's important to recognize that it exists. Yeah. Okay, it's important to recognize there's people who see a demon in everything, and 
I think that's a bit too much sometimes. But, um, uh, but yeah, I don't, yeah. Uh, I think someone I heard someone say once, um, I, I, "There's not a demon behind every bush, but um, when one pops its head up, I, I pull the trigger." Um, <laughs> something along those lines. But we were all uh, we were all born into a battle, and actually, what's important to understand about David and Saul, especially, is they were really born into battle. Their entire lives were surrounded by battle. Everything, every day that they woke up, they were under threat by some army somewhere. And what the promises of God was consistently under threat over their life. Constantly. They were surrounded by it. They were products of war. They were, they were born into it. David especially. David at the age of however old is, 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 you know, is, is on the battlefield. And, and the same is true for us. And just to quickly point this out, just to jump back quickly to, to when Saul messes up and takes control. Um, 1 Samuel 13, 14. Sorry, 1 Samuel 13, 13 to 14. Um, you have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. This is, this is Samuel talking to Saul, right? You have not kept the command that the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. But now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. Now we know the person that that Samuel's talking about is David. Funny thing is, Saul's only two years being king. Saul rules for another 40 years. He dies at 42. David doesn't become king till 30. What does that mean? David's not born when this is said to Saul. What's the point? Why is that important? Mm -hmm. It means 10 years before David was even born, God was fashioning a man for himself. David was born for war. David was born with a purpose. And this is also incredible, right? Psalm Psalm 139. This is David's own words, right? For you've created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Anyone here feeling useless or feeling like they don't have a purpose just lost the right to feel like that? You just lost the right to feel useless. You just lost the right to feel like God doesn't have a plan for your life. Ten years before David's born, God is fashioning a man for himself to step up. This isn't even, he wasn't even looking for David to tick some boxes. It wasn't even like, after David does some things, then I'll give, then I'll make these plans for him. Ten years before he's born. Every single one of you is born for a war. Every single one of you has a purpose over your life. You have a reason for being here. You you don't exist simply to take a seat up in church. That is not your purpose. And I just break anything that anyone has ever said over you. That when they've told you that you're useless, or they've told you that you can't do anything, or that you don't amount to anything, it's just an outright lie. It's just a lie. It's just not true. Everyone was born into war. And so David had a purpose. He was born into warfare. What surrounded his life? But see what it says back in 2 Samuel. It says, in the springtime, 
When the kings were at war, David was at home. David was supposed to be at war. He wasn't supposed to be on his rooftop. What I'm trying to say is when, when you avoid the war you're born for, you enter a war you don't have grace for. You don't have grace for it. Never, never avoid the war that you were born for. Don't run away from what God has in store for you. Don't run away from the purposes and the words that he's spoken over your life. Because you enter a war you don't have grace for. You know, it caused some serious problems for David. He ended up losing a child. He actually ended up sending a man to his death because of this. That wasn't, that wasn't God's plan. God was upset with him. He repented and it, was, and it was restored back to him because God's a merciful, gracious God. But it wasn't the plan. It wasn't the point. It wasn't what was supposed to happen. Whatever it is that tonight that, they, that, you, that's, that you don't want to step into the purpose that God has for your life, whatever that is that's holding you back, I just encourage you, ignore it. Whether it's, even if it's just disappointment, like you, you've been doing it for a while and it feels like you're not getting the results that you were supposed to be seeing or you feel like you, you're kind of battering your head against the wall and you kind of want to just drop it. I encourage you, don't drop it yet. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, there's a word for someone. It's the seventh day. Don't pull out early. Yeah. I, just, I just felt like that was for someone. It's the seventh day. Don't pull out early. This is, God is saying that, that I, I don't know who it's for here, but there's, there's a feeling almost like you're just clinging on God is saying, I'm coming. I'm coming. Don't, don't make that sacrifice yet like Saul did. Don't, don't make that mistake. I'm coming. Don't avoid it. Don't run away. Don't run away yet. It's coming for you. It's coming through. I just felt that was for someone. See, these two ways, David and Saul decided to suit themselves. Saul took control and David ran away. David avoided When they took control, it didn't work. It fell through for them. When, when Saul took control, it didn't happen. When David ran away, it didn't happen. Why? His, my theory is this. Is that control and running away or avoiding something, uh, the manifestations of fear. Yeah. 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 You only do that when you're afraid. Yeah. Yeah. Most of the time when someone is trying to control you or, or, or you are trying to control something or an environment, you're, you're scared, you're afraid. Yeah. You want to regain some control of what's happening. Yeah. If you're running away, it's because most of the time you're afraid. I don't run for anything. <laughs> the only time I'd run if I was afraid. Actually, that's, not, that's a lie. I'm trying to get fitter. <laughs> Sorry, God. <clears throat> Do their products of fear. And the Bible says, here's what the Bible says about fear. It says, Perfect love casts out all fear. You were not given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and self-control. In other words, (coughs) faith isn't exercised in fear. Faith isn't evidenced in fear. The two are kind of polar opposites. Any decision you make based on fear doesn't involve God. That's just fact. Because God has spoken that over your life. I didn't give you a spirit of fear. And so for David and Saul, when they make those decisions, when he takes control because he's scared, actually the Bible says the, that he was panicked. Mm-hmm. The people were afraid. Yeah. When he takes control off of God, 
then he panics, he, he goes into fear, and God can't be there. Same with, same with David. He avoids the war he was born for. And so, um, and so he begins to, it's a fear thing when you run away. And God's not in the decision. God definitely wasn't in the decision to sleep with Bathsheba. That's for sure. So where's the answer? Where, who does it right? Where, I, want, I think David, even though he does mess up, which we all do, but I think uh, if we look at David and Goliath, I think we'll find an answer there. So 1 Samuel seventeen thirty six to 39. So this guy called um, Goliath, that's his name, uh, he, uh, the Israelite army and the Philistine army have been regularly kind of coming out to each other and facing each other off. And kind of for weeks now, this guy Goliath, this huge mountain of a man, um, has, uh, has kind of been coming out and saying, if anyone wants to take me on, take me on. If I beat you, then you become our slaves. But if you can beat me, then, then we'll become your slaves. Um, and, and, and none of the Israelites for weeks have, have decided to take up this battle. And David's, um, David's dad uh, decides to, to send his son out just to feed the older sons in, in David's family. David doesn't even go to fight. He's not even there to fight. And he hears Goliath saying these things. He's like, I can take him. <laughs> well, I can take him. David is, David's probably not even 15 years old. Goliath is a fully grown giant of a man. <laughs> And he, he goes to Saul, the king, and he says, let me, let me take him on. Let me take him on. And Saul's like, David, David, look, look, look. This is not a good idea. And this is what uh, David says to him. 1 Samuel 17, 36, 39. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord, listen to the confidence in this 15-year-old boy. He has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put on a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. In my head, it's this, you know when uh, it's kind of a child's first day at school and they get their new uniform? <laughs> and they're, they're a bit swallowed up by it. <laughs> you know, there's, uh, if, if your parents are anything like my parent, my mum decided to buy a blazer that would last me for my entire, um, six, four, my entire school life, um, hoping that I'd grow into it one day. <laughs> Jokes on her, I outgrew it very quickly. So, <laughs> um and Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around. Because he was not used to them. I can't go in these, he said to Saul. I'm not used to them. So he took him off. <coughs> and we know how the story goes. David takes off the armor, picks up five stones and a slingshot. With one stone just straight into Goliath's forehead. And Goliath just dies. What a forearm that David must have had. <laughs> I think David learned something. I, I think he understood something. 
I think David understood that sometimes you've got, you got to take something off before God can put it on. Yeah. He understood that suiting himself wasn't going to work. Yeah. The armor that Saul put on him, David would have been, got crushed if he had gone out there in that armor. Yeah. He had learned something in the fields with the lion and the bear, which was, trust God. Look at his response. This guy, it's not a confidence in David. He's not like, I can take this guy. He's like, this guy dares to defy the God of Israel. And he's going he's gonna to try to defy our God? Pfft, please, let anyone go up to him and defeat him. Yeah. That's such the confidence in David. He, there's such the confidence in who his God is. Such a trust. He learned to take off and allow God to put on. For he has clothed me. That's the key. That's the way it works. Listen to what David writes in the Psalms. Psalm 23. This is just almost... Um, I love this psalm. It's such a good... Most of us, you, you, you would have heard it before or heard it somewhere at least, but when you put it in this context, it just changes some stuff. And, and you know that it's David who's writing this. The Lord is my shepherd... I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. This is David who was born in warfare. He was surrounded by war every single day. He leads me by by still waters. Makes me lie down in green pastures. Doesn't make sense. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley... Other versions put it, even though I walk through the shadow of the valley of death, I will fear no evil. I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. There's something about fear and anxiety that shuts down our ability to find the presence of God. Fear overtook Saul. So he took control. He couldn't find God. He couldn't see God in the situation. We run away from things like David did when he should have been at war. And we just lose sight of God. We we, we turned around in the other direction. But if you learn not to suit yourself, if you learn to be able to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and resist fear, resist anxiety, I promise you you'll find God. Even in the midst of the darkest valley, he's there. Even in the midst of your, of your worst battle, of your, of your biggest fight of your life, you will find him. God doesn't need you anywhere he's not. That's just the faith doesn't trust you enough. He won't lead you anywhere you're not. He won't lead, lead you anywhere he's not. Yeah. This funny bit in Isaiah 42, 11 to 13. Um, I'll read it out. I'll read it out. <clears throat> Let the wilderness and its towns raise their voices. Let the settlements where Kedar lives rejoice. Let the people of Salah sing for joy. Let them shout from the mountaintops. Let them give glory to the Lord and proclaim his praise in the islands. Give him praise, basically, is what I was trying to say there. The Lord will march out like a champion, like a warrior. 
He will stir up his zeal with a shout. He will raise the battle cry and will triumph over his enemies. Hilarious thing about this is all they did was praise. God got up like a mighty warrior and trampled on their enemies. Warfare sometimes doesn't have to be that hard. Sometimes it's not that hard. You'd be surprised the amount of victories that you can have by just praising. By just being still. Sometimes churches take that be still and know that I'm God a bit too far. But, you know, most of the weight of the Bible is in movement, it's in action, it's in I praise, I I raise my voice. But there are times where it's right to be still and know that He is God. Watch what He does. Watch what He does. God arouses like a mighty warrior and beats on the enemy. See, bold faith is built on the shoulders of quiet trust. David understood that. There was a quiet trust when he faced Goliath. It looked like bold faith, but it was rooted in a quiet trust. He goes on to say this in the Psalm 23. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely... Your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He sets a table. A table is a place of fellowship. It's a place of communion. It's a place of intimacy. It's, it's for family. It's, it's celebrations, dining. Just a side note, if anyone here has a family, I encourage you, get your kids around the table. Maybe just, if, if you can't, just get once a week. It's so important, but it's a side note. Um, it's a place of fellowship and he prepares it in the midst of your enemies and he makes you sit down and eat and drink whilst all your enemies watch think about that he sets a table in the midst of my enemies invites me to sit down invites me to drink with him to eat with him to commune with him in the midst of my enemies. You see, you see tension, he sees a table. You, you see, you see, you see a, a battlefield, he sees a table. That's what he sees. He says, come, just sit down. Just spend a little time with me. Trust me. Just take it off for a second. Watch what I put on. For he has clothed me. For he has clothed me. The greatest weapon that you possess is God with you. That is the greatest weapon you will ever possess. God with you. Should we stand? Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or you'd like to find out contact information or service times, then don't forget to visit our website, www.junctionchurch.com. God bless.